The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, hang out the bunting for our grand bank holiday blowout special. With the lads from the King Power playing like Charlie's, Everton making a charge on the Amex and Forrest making it a very bad weekend for teams from the South Coast. We round up all the twists and turns of the greatest day of goals ever and the weekend's other news. Also, there's dramatic last day of the championship at the Den and the latest in the always exciting Inter-Totally Cup. It's the Totally Football Show. It's a special late night bank holiday totally for you. Here in the studio, there's a bag of prawn crackers, other snacks, some squash, Tim Spears, Tom Williams, and you, listener, in a very real sense, you. On the way, we've got a bunch of people, people who've been at matches on what is, would it be wrong to call it, the most extraordinary day of this most extraordinary season of this most extraordinary league? I mean, it's early days, yes. given that the final whistle at the city ground only sounded about 10 minutes ago. But it feels like the kind of day that might one day end up with its own name. I wonder whether even by the time tomorrow's papers hit the newsstands, this, this day of days and goals will have been given some kind of name. What well, would you call it, Tim? Uh, um, Coronary Nation that's, Day. That's, that's what I'd call it. Would um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's what, what's, what's the Boxing Day list of goals at 1963? Yeah. Where there was always flashes up on Sky Sports. Right. I feel like they're going to flash up today. This is the thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, listen, by now you may know this. It's probably been confirmed by other sources, but I'm hearing that this was the goaliest day of Premier League action, brackets that featured three games or fewer since Optech started collecting stats, close brackets, ever. 21 goals across three matches. Eight at Craven Cottage. Another six then at the Amex. And then we finished off at the City Ground with a pretty bonkers seven. Wow. Eight. Was it eight in the end? No. Seven. I've literally lost no, count. Nobody can count how many goals. Seven. Right. Seven, you're right. But just people occasionally say when there's been like a high scoring game, oh, yeah. we almost lost count. We I often think, well, you, you, you don't ever lose that? count, do you? Because no. the scores are always on the screen. But I feel like today I genuinely did lose count on, on multiple occasions. We had loads of goals. We had a goal in the opening minute down in uh, Brighton. And, and here's a stat we've had this season more goals in the opening minute of matches than in any, any other season ever. 10 so far. It's just been that kind of season, you know, Harlan at one end, smashing all kinds of records, everybody involved, or at least half the table involved in a, in a relegation battle, a genuine title race with only one point between the top two. And look, the top four battles reopened as well now, Tim. And we were all moaning when, when they put the World Cup in, in winter. Yeah. And look what it's done. Look what it's done. Um, it makes the players more tired. That's, that's the recipe. Wow. 21 goals on the Monday. Only 13 in the matches across Saturday and Sunday, which went like this. Chelsea were 3-1 winners against Bournemouth. Wow. A Wolves beat Villa 1-0. It was 1-0 for Spurs against Palace and Liverpool over Brentford. Uh, Man City defeated Leeds 2-1. Big Sam notwithstanding. Arsenal replied with a 2-0 win at Newcastle to stay just one point behind Pep's side. And West Ham beat Man United 1-0 putting themselves nice and clear of the bottom three and reopening the top four race into the bargain. Wow. A roller coaster ride. Let's begin with Monday. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by Live Score Bet. 
You can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Playing the ball on for Dwight McNeil, who's got energy to burn for, and off he goes again. Oh, <laughs> Dwight McNeil completes a perfect day for Everton. All right, if you're just joining us, listener, uh, Monday was crazy, mad games all over, maddest of all was the one down at the Amex where Everton went to Brighton and won 5-1. Witness to what would have been a blue Monday had they not been wearing pink was Greg O'Keefe. Greg joins us now. Greg, you've seen things you people wouldn't believe. I, I mean, I don't think anybody could believe it from the first minute to the last. Everton lost and comfortably lost 4-1 to Brighton at Goodison Park earlier in this dismal season. Um, they were going into this game obviously on the back of conceding 11 goals in five games and, and few people even the most ardent Evertonians could find much reason for optimism of a result today or a win at least and to see them you know to to maintain that performance level from that as I say the, the opening whistle to the last was surprising and you know again hugely encouraging for for the relegation fight with the context of the results before and after absolutely from the opening win it 34 seconds in Abdullah Dukhuri with the opening goal where, where did this come from are you talking about the, the the numbers behind Everton's recent form one win this is their first win in fact in eight eight matches it's their first away victory since October was it Yeri Mina's return was it Dominic Calvert-Lewin was it the the, the the battle of Dwight McNeil has been through a relegation once and and doesn't want to doesn't fancy going through it again. A bit of all three, I think, and and you know, and sort of credit to Dice as well. Just the perfect team plan and a perfectly delivered execution of it by his players. And obviously, not seen that enough since he's come in. Certainly in the execution uh, and at times, you know, there's more recently probably been questions about selection and was he being too loyal to Michael Keane? He made some big calls today. You know, he dropped Keane. He was defending him last week, but he dropped him today. Mina came in and yes, he made some key interventions, showed up the back line and, and helped massively against, even though they were fatigued, you know, a really strong attacking unit in Brighton. But he kept Nathan Patson in the side as well at right back, despite again sort of wondering, openly wondering whether he was too inexperienced. That paid off handsomely. And James Garner kept his place as well. Amadou Inanna was fit to come in, but James Garner retained his place from, from the, the draw at Leicester a week ago and delivered two. But I probably, you know, Calvert-Lewin is the most obvious and, and that's for a reason. I think he's given Everton uh, a new lease of life since he came back. He proved what, how much they missed him and his involvement in that first goal, obviously massive, but just giving them a, a focal point and an outlet in a game where they only had 23% of possession, especially the second half when Brighton, you know, predictably came out and really went for it and put Everton on the back foot for most of that half, really. He was always there offering them, you know, um, an out ball, uh, someone who's willing to run all day. And, you know, when it mattered, the composure to create a goal as well and uh, working hard in both boxes and just transformed Everton since he's been back, really. He's been getting marginally better with each game. And, um, yeah, hopefully that continues. Well, what a player to be able to call on in these final decisive weeks. Jordan Pickford, Greg. I mean, yeah, it's his his interventions today, were, if, it's a cliche, isn't it? But that, if that's a centre-forward, we just spoke about one there who didn't get on the score sheet. But, you know, he, he took a hat-trick. Some of the saves he made today were as important as that. You know, Brighton, 
it's not for good reason that people write in Everton off before this. You know, even if they had that lesser time to prepare and they were obviously very leggy, Brighton, they've got goal threats, goal threats even everywhere. And Matoma probably was rubbing his hands together at the side of Nathan Patterson because he kind of destroyed him at Goodison in, uh, in January, unfortunately. Like, you know, sort of took him apart and, and Brighton just must have thought that if anyone, they could ride out their tiredness against Everton. But um, Jordan Pickford was just resolute. You know, his his saves were, were, you know, especially from, I think, Ferguson in the second half and then a couple from McAllister made sure that Everton got over the line and um, just tremendous, you know, kind of that growing maturity that we've seen in him the last 18 months uh, just continues apace, really. Two points now above the bottom three. Coming up, Man City at the weekend, then away at Wolves and then at home to Bournemouth the last three games. Today felt like uh, the, the best day that Everton supporters have had for a, a very long time, but it also called to mind the extraordinary kind of resurgence of, of, of spirit that, that, that got them across the line at the end of last season, belatedly so. Is, is that what we're seeing? Do you, do you think that this is, this is now Everton safe? Well, I don't know about safe. I, I definitely agree that it, it, it was reminiscent of that. Again, and I agree, belated U-turn under Frank Lampard last season. And it was actually a year to the day of another away win, a massive away win. And they don't come along very often for Everton. So, you know, there was Leicester last season at the King Power. Everton went 1-2-1. And the Everton fans in the away section there kind of sounded like the home fans. They were up for it from the first minute to last. And they got a huge victory that ends up, you know, kind of carrying them to the, the, the win over Crystal Palace. They couldn't do it at the King Power last weekend, uh, or last Monday rather, but there was an in- improved performance. And then I think it came a, a week later, really, and, and like spectacularly so. And, um, you know, that that will definitely transform the mood around the club, absolutely transform it. Because, you know, make no mistake, Everton fans were beginning to think that the team was gone. They're not there yet. Again, we, you know, we talk about Forrest and, you know, that they... A draw would have been perfect for Everton, but you know, Forrest did probably what you expect them to do, really. Um, but Everton crucially are out of that bottom three. Psychologically, that gives them a huge, huge lift. And I'd say maybe they need a couple of points now. A, a win, I would feel, would make them safe. And they've got three games there. Man City's a huge, a huge one, isn't it? Where you think, I mean, perhaps like tonight, you say, can they get anything? Uh, big, big ask. But then they play Wolves away in Bournemouth. And I think a couple of points are a win from those two games, and, and I think they'll be they'll be all right. Always been a big Dwight McNeil fan. Any willowy, sort of painfully one-footed winger mm. will always win my heart. And uh, he's been one of the great beneficiaries of of Sean Dyche, you know, coming back in at Goodison and you know scored. The fourth and fifth goals uh, for Everton. The fourth one, magnificent though, where he basically walks it in. Yeah, yeah. And a, a rare pre-ball crossing the line celebration, um, which, you know, something that all schoolboy footballers love to see. Um, and then a real kind of Jeff Hurst hat-trick goal of a, a second goal. Equal is important, probably, this goal. Well, it was if you're an Everton fan, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of what the you know the money you get from being in the Premier League, far more important, some would say. Uh, Tim, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, uh, well, I guess I guess we should also point out how un undice like they were not just tonight, but last week at Leicester. Like, mm. they, I think they had three one nils in the early part of of Dice's Everton reign, 
all at Goodison, which all felt exactly like what you would expect from him, a, t- a tight defence and grinding out a 1-0 win. But yeah, they, they could have they could have scored five at Leicester and then they've, they've scored five at Brighton. It's, and I don't know, it's... Is it, a, is it a massively different approach? Is it confidence? Is it I, think it's just, I think it's just the perfect clash of styles. You know, Roberto De Zerbi's Brighton and this extremely risky high-wire act that they perform in, in every game. And, of course, the thrill of watching a high-wire act is that if the guy falls off the high-wire, you know he's going to hurt himself. And that's exactly what happened to Brighton. Mm. And, and Everton, and particularly this Sean Dyche Everton, were the perfect team to capitalise on that because... You know, they packed the midfield, they had pace on the flanks, they had a guy up front who, who put in a shift and a half. And, I mean, obviously, I'm not sure scoring after 34 seconds would have been part of the, the Daesh game plan, but as soon as Everton had that advantage, then yeah. it, it put them in control. Um, and it was, yeah, it was the, it was impressive. The possession stats, or the goal tally may not sound too Daeshian, but the possession stats, I think, certainly did. From Brighton's point of view, I don't know, a game too far maybe, a busy week... Three games on the trot. Mm. Um, they missed Gilmore, I think, and he was he was he was left out, having played pretty well in recent weeks. But yeah, Decore against McAllister was sort of the key midfield battle from what I saw, and um, it was the Decore of old. He was very good. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet. With Bet Builder from Live Score Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from Live Score Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre built quick bet options. Bet Builder from Live Score Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. But there you go. That was Everton roaring out of the bottom three. And later on Monday, Forrest pulled off the very same trick with that 4-3 win over Southampton. Wow. What a night at the city ground. And there to witness it, Matt Davis-Adams, who joins us now from a car parked in the rain. Very much so, yeah, I do. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to add much lucid thought to the podcast, I must say, but hey, right. you wait 23 years as a Forest fan to feel something and and when you get there, it's chest pains, but, you know, we got through. Wow. But in amongst the chest pains, there must have been some moments, perhaps Morgan Gibbs-White with that extraordinary back heel flick on for Danilo's goal. I lose track of which one it was, perhaps the third, the fourth, who knows? Fourth goal, I'm getting from Tim. Yeah, that was pretty special. I mean, um, Gibbs White is a, is a, an unbelievable player, and he was at fault for the first Southampton goal, I think. Albeit there was a lot that had to happen uh, subsequently after that. But yeah, Danilo. Last time I was on, we were saying that uh, he'd been injured at Brentford and we wouldn't see him again. And lo and behold, his powers of recovery are terrific. And um, I know Daniel and I have been quite critical of Forest's January transfer business, but Danilo and Felipe, crikey, they really did their bit tonight. Not so much Kaylor and Navas, but yeah, mm. um, we. 
we got the win and, and uh, in a very forest way. Will it be enough? I'm not sure, but you know. Oh, we'll come have on, Matt. Come on. You're three <laughs> points clear of the bottom three now with three games to go. Who are those final three matches for Forest? Well, they're away at Chelsea, then, oh dear, home to Arsenal. Ah, and then away at Palace. Huh. Yeah, I was really confident about getting something at Stamford Bridge until uh, Chelsea turned up on Saturday. And now I'm not so sure. Um, it's going to be a tense one. Mm. That's for sure. Because uh, we're so terrible away from home. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm pleased that Forrest haven't been relegated on the basis of not being able to beat Southampton at home. So uh, that's something. Right. And there must have been at least one moment in the game when Southampton came roaring, roaring back at you when you thought that that was exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, pretty much at the start of the second half. Um, also, I've just had a, a text from a friend of mine who's at the game with his little boy who on 90 minutes decided that he needed a wee. And my friend came back to the game thinking we were 5-2 up to watch James Ward-Prowse put in a penalty to make it 4-3 and was rather confused. And that, I think, summed up the evening quite nicely. Right. Um, defending's for nerds. Uh, that's another thing that we learned, I think, this season as much as tonight. But for Forrest to score four goals in one game is, is pretty extraordinary. Right. The, the they're, rogue, doing, they're doing what they can. The rogue fifth one there, of course, that r- remarkable touch from Felipe, a uh, uh, lovely finish as well, uh, which was then uh, ruled to have been offside uh, so sadly. Uh, well, well, there you go, Matt. Beyond all of the chest pains, one of the best nights you've had in, at the City Ground for a while? I think you can look back on it now and say yes, but the tension is, um, it's one of those where you kind of think, this isn't worth it, is it? I'm 41, I don't need to be doing this to myself, getting so wrapped up in a football game. I've got my mum with me, she was at the game. Um, We were both just totally going through it, and and in your more rational moments, you think, should I be doing this to myself? But yeah, of course, that's why. That's why we're in it, isn't it? I don't know how I'm going to be able to um, commentate effectively on Chelsea versus Forest for Chelsea TV on Saturday. But that's a a problem for Saturday, Matt. Mm. For for Monday night, we'll, we'll we'll just bask. Fair enough, fair enough. One of the issues, I suppose, is the fact that with in the VAR age, even when you're celebrating, you you you, you don't know if you're celebrating, and particularly when the goal's been scored by a one-ye, because he does that weird thing where he looks like, and he's kind of almost like a, a VAR check in person. <laughs> yeah, he is, isn't he? He was ruthless tonight. I mean, every team has injuries, but Forrest have missed him a lot. I mean, he started the season looking quite quite patchy but he's he's been really really good in the games that, that he's come back for and and he looks like he can, can be a dependable goal scorer or whatever division Forrester in next season but yeah the Felipe one was sad wasn't it particularly because I managed to shout Felipe just as he volleyed it which would have been um, beautifully serendipitous but unfortunately our old friend VAR got in the way but look Forrest won that's um that's good well that was atmospheric wasn't it Great, great um, acoustics. Though. What wonderful, isn't it? Should we not oh. add some foley sound to the rest of the show? Yeah, I'm sure Charlie can make it sound like we're we're also in a car with the rain gently drumming right. on the roof. Retrospectively, I'd like to put some seagulls onto the uh, Everton at Brighton. What kind of soundtrack should we add to our conversation that's coming up next with Rob Tanner, who was there to witness the game that wasn't on TV on Monday, but was pretty extraordinary in itself. I'm speaking of Leicester's visit to Craven Cottage. They took on a Fulham side who looked pretty much done for the season and managed to lose 5-3. Rob joins us now. Let's hear what he has to say. Talk us through what what happened uh, to Leicester. Uh, A dismal dismal first half in particular, 3-0 down at half-time. 
absolutely. I mean, there, there seemed to be no fight, no conviction. It was very, very distressing and worrying for the Leicester fans. There was 2,200 of them that travelled down. They were optimistic that this could be the uh, the game that could turn around their fortunes. Uh, they'd been unbeaten in three games, although there were still the perennial problems of not being able to keep a clean sheet. And uh, just the one victory for quite some time now. But there was still some optimism going into the game. Uh, and I spoke to a few fans before and um, they were like half-heartedly saying, yeah, this is the moment, this is the moment. It's going to turn around because they obviously looking at the Liverpool and the Newcastle games. But oh, the, the performance that the players put out today, uh, it's the first time that I've really, in my article that's going to be published tomorrow, really gone for the players because... Before, there's always been mitigation. There's always been uh, fingers pointed at um, Brendan Rodgers, the board, the owners, the lack of transfer activity, the number of injuries, all the mitigating circumstances. But today, it was purely down to the players on the pitch. There was no fight about them, no spirit. Uh, And then we saw Everton and Nottingham Forest showing you how it should be done in a, a relegation battle, the conviction that you need. Um, so I think there's a lot of Leicester fans tonight that are resigned to their fate, even though there's three games still to go. Um, so it's very depressing for them after such a remarkable stay in the Premier League, um, what they've achieved. Um, it, uh, it's very disheartening. Mm. Liverpool at home, Newcastle away, West Ham at home, the three remaining fixtures for the Foxes. Uh, all teams with more or less something to be battling for. Uh, those opponents. James Madison afterwards uh, kind of echoing the, the themes you touch on there and saying that the players don't have, or that they weren't hungry enough. Uh, James Madison, who'd previously taken exception to, to, to what you'd said about the team in, <laughs> yeah. in, in a previous match report, Rob. Yeah, yeah. He, he clawed back a bit from that afterwards because obviously that generated quite a reaction on on social media, as most of his comments do. I mean, I, and I applaud him for being honest and and... and talking to the fans because in the modern Premier League there's not many players that do that and there's certainly not many players that do that genuinely in terms of us I mean that they have people that look after and manage their social media and James doesn't he's he's a very honest lad and when I uh, tweeted what I tweeted after the South, Southampton game and the, the article I wrote then I think he was just trying to show a bit of leadership because at the time he was captain and I have no issue with that, and I have no issue with James Madison, but it was, I was just trying to make a warning, just to, to express a warning that what I was seeing was going to culminate in a relegation battle because at the time they weren't scoring goals, they weren't um, getting shots on target, they weren't keeping clean sheets, the injuries were mounting up, there, there seemed to be no game management. And here we are, uh, three games to go, and nothing's changed. The manager's changed. But uh, nothing else has changed. You know, they, they have little brief spells of little flurries where they look like the team that we think they should be. But after that, they revert to the type that we've seen all season. And um, that's why a lot of the fans now are, th- are feeling really that there's very little hope. And when you remove hope from a fan base, there'll be a lot of uh, finger pointing at, at, at all aspects of the football club. So, yeah, it's um, it's a difficult day for Leicester. 
Mm, indeed so. And against the Fulham side, who've been less than irresistible in, in recent matches, losing eight of their previous ten in, in all competitions. Indeed. Uh, briefly then, Rob, to finish, what, what do you reckon on Dean Smith's chances of turning the mood around within the team before uh, the weekend's clash with Liverpool? Oh, it's going to be hugely... I mean, he came into the press conference tonight and said... Um, they didn't see that coming, but a lot of the, the, the fans that have, have been following Leicester this season have seen that on on a few occasions uh, this season, this lack of fight, this lack of direction. So it's going to be hugely difficult for him. Uh, and it will also uh, weaken his position in terms of if they do go down, whether they decide that Dean Smith is going to be the right man to try and lead them back out of the championship. Because I would imagine if they go down, they'll still be the major favourite to, to, to bounce straight back up because of the backing of the club, um, because of the history of the club over the last seven years. I mean, there'll be a massive job to do overhauling that squad. Absolutely. Mm. But um, yeah, it won't, be, uh, it won't have benefited Dean in any way today. All right, Rob. Sounds like you've got some messages to respond to. So we'll, we'll let you get on to that. Sorry, not at all. My phone's always going. <laughs> indeed, it's indeed. James Madison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it feels like a momentous day down the sharp end of things, at the business end of the season. Is the bottom the sharp? I thought the top was the sharp end. Is Surely it? the bottom's like the soggy the end. Blunt. That's why they're all down there. Right. Fair. The splintery end. Uh, but when you look at it, actually, so okay, Saints are gone now, aren't they? They're Six points from no, they're more than that. Eight points from safety with three games to go, but then Leeds and Leicester in the bottom three with them, and Everton and Forest above them. All those four teams still only separated by three points. What do you think, Tim? To what extent is that a definitive set of positions? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to make predictions after you've just watched Everton beat Brighton away five-one mm. as to what will happen. Um, it's interesting that the, that the two clubs that have sort of dropped in it, and it looks pretty bleak for today. Leicester and Leeds are the most um, the most recent clubs to sack their managers, I believe. You know, you look at West Ham certainly, and to an extent Forest. You know, things looking a little more positive for them today. Rewarded perhaps for mm. you know holding their nerve. Certainly in the case of of Forest, you know, he's, he's so used to Marinak is so used to sacking his managers, and he's, Cooper's been under tremendous pressure, and obviously as was David Moyes. Whereas you know you look at, I mean, Lee's a bit of a different case, but you look at Leicester. If Rogers was still there, would they have continued that horrendous one, or would they have got a win or two from somewhere? I don't know. He's such an experienced manager at the top level, like Moyes is. I, personally, I, th- I think Rogers would have would have got them a little bit higher on the table. But it's interesting that those that have left it so late to make their changes are um, are moving downwards, not upwards. Mm. You see them breaking back out of the bottom three, Tom, Leeds and Leicester? It feels like a, a potentially decisive day of results. Mm. Uh, Have in we that, said that before in this Premier League season? I'm sure. Would, would we be so presumptuous, James, as to try and predict what was, what was going to happen? I mean, we probably have said that before, but yeah. I think particularly looking at the momentum that... Nottingham Forest and Everton will now approach their final three games with compared to the situations that Leicester and Leeds find themselves in. Mm. Um, and I think when you look at the fixtures as well, right. uh, Everton in particular have got, uh, I think, probably the kindest run-in of those four. Leicester and Leeds have both got really tricky run-ins. Um, so it, 
it isn't looking great for them. But at the same time, as that um, that remarkable game at Brighton has reminded us, this period of the season always throws up really weird results. And, and when we get to this stage of the season and we start plotting how many points teams are likely to win, you forget the ability that teams who are fighting for survival have to go on completely unforeseeable runs of positive form and, and pick up wins that you would never have seen them picking up. And, you know, Everton putting five past Brighton was the first example of that. There will be other results that that completely blindsided us. Uh, but, yeah, not looking great for Leicester and Leeds. Tom's completely right. To the extent where I now look at Everton v Man City next mm. week, I think, oh, that's a tricky place to go. Well, particularly with City having... Games on either side of it against uh, Real Madrid. Yeah, and the way that they ended the you know uh, the Leeds game at the weekend. Um, I think the the belief that Forest and Everton will get from tonight's games purely because they're they're doing things that they've not done throughout the whole of the season. So Everton scored fifteen percent of all their goals this season tonight, and Forest scored twelve percent of all their goals Good this season. Lord. These two teams don't score goals, so for them to go and record huge victories and very important victories at this stage of the season, we we know how much momentum and belief is in these final sort of two, three weeks. I think um, I think you can't underestimate how, how big these results have been. Okay. More when we know more. Next up, though, let's uh, look at things up towards the sharper end of the standings and the top four race. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Brighton's defeat means they're not perhaps part of the race for Champions League anymore, but West Ham beating Man United on Sunday 1-0, putting themselves seven points clear now of the bottom three, but also opening up uh, the chance of a Champions League spot, perhaps for Liverpool, who are only one point behind Man United. Liverpool lying there in fifth, although they have played a game more uh, than Man United. Uh, let's talk about events at the London Stadium, where two men really stood out, one being Declan Rice and the other one, David De Gea. David De Gea, because that was the goal. That was the only goal of the game, and it was all about De Gea's remarkable flap at Ben Rama's kind of half-hearted shot. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty tame effort, wasn't it? I think, you know, this is probably the worst De Gea error of the ones he's, he's made recently. So it went in slow motion, under his hands. 
I don't know, the, the severe ones were different different circumstances where rush of blood to the head or trouble playing out from the back, not knowing whether to sweep or not. But this was just... I mean, there's, there's great variety to the De Gea um, era back catalogue. Every time you think that there can't possibly be mm. other things that he can do that end up with the ball in the back of his net mm. and, you know, proverbial air got over his proverbial face, he, he surprises us. A, a remarkable, you know, powers of reinvention. There was a there was a lot of analysis as to how exactly he'd come to not save that. I think it was because Ben Armour takes the shot more quickly than De Gea is expecting, and there was that great overhead camera angle that captured it really well. Um, in that, you know, Ben Armour is what sort of about 30, 25 yards out, and you can see De Gea who's kind of backpedalling and trying to get his angles right, and he hasn't set himself clearly. And, and Ben Rama sort of dis- dispatches this really sort of piddly shot that's trundling towards the bottom left corner. And, and De Gea, despite getting a hand on on it, only helps it on its way. I mean, peculiar. Uh, and I think that was his, his fourth error, uh, leading directly to a goal, which puts him level with, with Hugo Lloris, another goalkeeper who hasn't had a, a fantastic season. And yeah, you know, a second consecutive defeat for for Man United and you, you feel like I mean I wouldn't go as far as to say that the wheels are coming off but they're clearly running out of steam you feel the wheels are coming off too. I don't think the wheels are coming off but I think a worrying thing about that game at West Ham was that in recent weeks right. you've been able to look at the absentees and say oh well of course Casemiro wasn't there oh, well, right. they're missing Christian Eriksen Bruno Fernandes wasn't there Marcus Rash wasn't they were all there they were all there they were all there and you know none of them none of them showed up I think the 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 one positive for United looking at their final four games is that three of the four are at home. And whereas their away record is really, really poor, and particularly when it comes to playing the other teams in the top half, their home record is is much better. And, and the, the fixtures they have don't look too frightening. So although they will be... <laughs> They will be keenly aware of uh, of, of Liverpool's um, close proximity to them. Mm. Um, you know that that home form suggests that they they should be able to get over the line. Okay, Man United have Bournemouth away, at home to Chelsea, at home to Fulham. What's the other game that I'm missing there? Home to Wolves this Saturday. Oh, and before any of that, home to Wolves. Whereas Liverpool will be at Leicester. And then at home to Villa, and then they finish off at Saints, which you can see them continuing their remarkable run. They've, they're on a, a streak of six consecutive victories, Liverpool. And yet really patchy wins, almost all of them. I mean, you take those the six. The last five all 1-0. Yeah. Or oh, by no, a single goal, by, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, first, the first win in that run was the 6-1 at Leeds, mm. which was very convincing, very one-sided. But, but since then... 3-2 at home to Forest, 2-1 at West Ham, 4-3 at home to Spurs, which is one of the most ridiculous games of the season, and then two very narrow 1-0 home wins over Fulham and, and Brentford. And I guess the, the old cliche is that it's a good sign to be to be winning when, when you're not playing well. Um, and I think, you know, given how difficult this season has been for Liverpool, they'll just be very glad to be getting these these wins on the board. But they're not completely blowing teams away, apart from that that one game at Leeds. Better to be winning by a single well, goal than losing indeed. by a single goal. Tim, do you see Liverpool pipping Man United to fourth place? No. If, oh. if it was a 39-game season, which was mooted once, of course, I think maybe they would they would sneak in. But it's, given United's um, fixtures and home games, I, th- I think they'll get there. I, I saw a headline after this game, United's defeat, saying their season is lurching towards disaster. 
which I probably just, one of Tom's pieces. Is it? The wheels are coming off. <laughs> I just I don't know. I mean, they've they've won a trophy. They're in they're in a final. They're in the FA Cup final, aren't they? If you go back to October when they when they got hammered at Man City six three, I think they would have taken fifth and a trophy and a, and being in the FA Cup final all mm. day long. To be honest, you know, sometimes we, we maybe overcomplicate issues a little bit too much. They have suffered with injuries, fatigue in a long season with a World Cup in the middle. Rashford being their only major goal scorer, certainly up front. Plus, they are they are still a work in progress, you know, under Ten Hag. So, yes, they're on a bad run, but I think there are there are pretty simple reasons for that, and um, and it's still been a, a very good season. Okay, just one point between them and Liverpool, though. Although they do have that extra fixture, West Ham though now safe, seven points clear of the bottom three. We talked about De Gea's role in the. 1-0 West Ham win. But what about Declan Rice? Because that goal came early and it was singular how United were unable really to construct a genuine challenge to West Ham's lead. And a lot of that was down to Declan. Yeah, and, and you know, I think something that, that, that stood out from a, a Man United perspective was that both Casemiro and Christian Eriksen looked a little bit puffed. Um, and, and Declan Rice very rarely looks tired at all. You know, remarkable physical qualities uh, on top of all his other qualities as, as a footballer. Um, and yeah, you know, a, a, a sort of classic driving Declan Rice performance. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the key moment in the game was the, the, the Ben Rama goal and the, 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 the De Gea error. But I think if there was a player who sort of embodied what West Ham did well, it was it was him. I think also Antonio and Suchek, two players who really haven't performed as much this season, were great. It was a throwback to 2022, really, the good old days for West Ham. Um, and I'm pleased that they won for David Moyes' health. I think a vein may have popped in his head as soon as you didn't get the Lindelof handball decision in the first half. And also, you could argue the, the foul on De Gea in the second when they thought they scored yeah. the second goal. So for once, you know, the decisions actually actually favoured United uh, against West Ham, but still wasn't enough. But Moyes, Moyes would have gone absolutely crackers if, uh, had they not won that. His first win over his former mm. side since back when he was at Everton. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like we said earlier, you know, you've got to credit West Ham for for sticking with him. The, the fans were, had really sort of turned on him, given the horrendous league form and the position they were in. But they could end the season with a European trophy and thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth place. It would be uh, one of the best seasons mm. in their history from nowhere. They've got that AZ Alkmaar in the Europa Conference League. That's on Thursday. If you're curious to know more about Dutch side RZ, currently in fourth place in the Eredivisie, uh, the Mikael Jongsma pops up on our. European edition of the Totally Football Show, which is already out, in fact. We recorded that early this week. So uh, do tune in to hear thoughts on that game and the other big semi-finals coming up this midweek. And last time, of course, you've got the whole of France behind them Oh yes, in that tie because, because there is a scenario in which France lose their, <laughs> their grip on fifth place in the UEFA coefficient table. If AZ win... Both legs of the semi-final and win the final, and then obviously, you know, lift the trophy, um, which is traditionally what happens when you, when you win the final. Um, then uh, the Netherlands will move above France, which means that above when France. the new Champions League reforms kick in and all the the places are handed out, there'll be one place less for France and one extra place for the Netherlands. So that was that was the headline in Le Keep uh, the the day I think the day after um, whoever with the last French team to crush out of Europe, where it was you know. Come on, West Ham. So will we have to change what, how we say, you know, Europe's B 
big five leagues is now big six or I mean, France is not I mean, anymore. yeah, that would that's a conversation that we would potentially have to have. Look forward unless, to that. Unless, unless West Ham do the business. Crikey. Much riding on Thursday's game then. Uh, meantime, what a result for Arsenal. Travelling to Newcastle. Did you see this coming, Tim? The Gunners going all the way up to St James's Park and winning 2 0? Uh, not after uh, the opening minutes. Um, it was sort of like a scene out of 300, the way that Newcastle approached them literally 100 miles an hour George Culkin our Newcastle correspondent said the game could have had a speeding ticket in those opening minutes it was it was ferocious they threw everything at them mm. and then the game seemed to turn really on them on the non-penalty decision which Newcastle got too emotional about I think Eddie Howe probably admitted that afterwards it was a game of emotions because Mikel Arteta said Arsenal used emotion to win the game specifically looking at last season defeat uh, and the pain of that, they were they were showing a clip before the game of of the the defeat they suffered at Newcastle towards the back end of last season. Used that emotion, whereas Eddie Howe said Newcastle were too emotional, um, and got involved in um, Arsenal's pesky uh, time wasting tactics, which he uh, which he disapproves of very strongly. Clearly, clearly. Uh, so yeah, I thought um, I've I've seen it suggested uh, by a few Arsenal fans and correspondents that it was their most impressive win of the season and I think mm-hmm. in all circumstances you know it, it probably was okay. um, and they're on track for 90 points which which would win the Premier League in the in 20 seasons and might you know might um, just do it this time might just do it this time after Everton beat Man City this weekend as you, you, you've been predicting mm. uh, that maybe Arsenal will be there poised to, to sweep past City of course City do still have another game in hand but you know, there'll be twists, there'll be turns. Adrian Adrian Clark was on here ahead of the game and he was talking about how key Arteta's decisions for the midfield were going to be and whether Arteta would go with Jorginho. And it, Daniel Story equally writing post-game and pointing out the fact that if you look at their recent wobble, one key factor to all the Arsenal's disappointing performances was that Jorginho wasn't there or at least came on late in, in those matches. He was here in this game and, and what did that bring to Arsenal? Yeah, well, it's a slightly different profile in midfield gives them perhaps a little bit more control um, I mean he got an assist for the goal not that you know the he, first the uh, the Martin Odegaard goal yeah. which you know it's not like he didn't exactly put it on a plate given <laughs> that Odegaard smashed it in from 20 odd yards but that they all count but uh, you know you, you go back to January and the business that Arsenal did and I think we all thought that They'd signed well in getting Jorginho and Trossard. I guess Kibio we knew a little bit less about. We're learning a bit more about um, now that we're, we're seeing him in action. Um, but, you know, we saw immediately what, what Trossard brought to Arsenal. I think particularly coming into the team at a time where Gabriel Jesus was still on the sidelines and, you know, dovetailing with, with Gabriel Martinelli on the left-hand side. And, and you know, I think he's he's been a really important element Um Trossard in in in, in Arsenal's uh, form since January. Jorginho, we hadn't really seen. Obviously, got that goal against Aston Villa that shot came back off the crossbar and hit Martinez and went in. But we we'd not seen that much of him. And you know, it it has been after making these adjustments to his starting eleven and and you know, notably bringing Jorginho in, that Arsenal have kind of got back on track. The win at home to Chelsea, which was very predictable, but the win away at Newcastle, much less so. And and I've you know I've been guilty. I think we all have of just kind of talking about the title race as if it's over because City have the games in hand, because City are now top, because we know how good City are. Mm. But, 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 you know... Arsenal needs City to drop five points. 
They they do they do, and it is very unlikely. Right. But it's it's not it's not you know it's today not, of it's all days. Not impossible. On not today or on now. you know Coronation Chaos Monday or whatever it's going to be called. Who who are we to say? Indeed. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, City the previous day, of course, had seen off Big Sam's uh, Leeds. 2-1, which is, I think you mentioned earlier, Tim, was a slightly nervous ending on account of Gundogan uh, not converting a penalty, which is, you know, kind of a Man City thing. It is, but then they've got a guy who scores quite a lot of penalties who was on the pitch at the time. Mm. Uh, I mean, how do you look at that other than arrogance, really? I mean, it's the kind of thing you do in a testimonial, not when you tune a up with... Ten-ish minutes to go in a title race. I could see you could see why Guardiola was so annoyed that I'm I'm surprised that they did it. But yeah, it's it's not a result that does much for for Leeds, but the manner of defeat <laughs> will give them some confidence. You know, they they would have been expecting a thrashing. You could see unity on the pitch at full time. Allardyce got the whole squad together, took them over to the away fans, and yeah, this is a team that's been thrashed by Palace and Bournemouth in the last few weeks. So for Leeds to go there and keep it to two one was even if City took their foot off the gas, was 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 impressive and important for Leeds' mindset going forward. And as for City, yeah, just job done. They were incredible in the first half. It felt it felt like it, it wouldn't be anything other than a thrashing. Yeah. They were absolutely relentless. It was like there was sort of Puppet masters just just doing whatever they wanted with Leeds' players toying with them, dragging them here, there, and everywhere. So for Leeds to come away with two one, will will almost feel like they got something out of it in a way. All right, Leeds who do drop into the bottom three, but are only two points from safety. Very good. We've talked a fair amount about the relegation struggle. Tim, you're fresh back uh, from a fixture which was going to have a bit of a bearing on who might be coming up. We'll get onto that next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. They're not in the mood to settle. Smonics. Oh, and it must be Brent Diaz! Well, sheer desolation now. That has surely sealed Millwall's fate. The Championship, aha! Final day of the regular season in the Championship on Bank Holiday Monday. Uh, five teams were competing for two playoff spots called Sheffield United and Burnley already booked for promotion. Tim, you went to see two of those five hopefuls go head-to-head at the den where Millwall were taking on Blackburn Rovers. Well, my game kept up the side of the bargain that um, uh, there had to be seven goals per match today. And, yeah, it was one of the most incredible games I've seen in a while, actually. Millwall just needed to win to finish sixth. 
which would have been their highest finish for more than two decades. And that would put them into the playoffs. And they would have been in the playoffs, didn't need any of the results to go their way, just needed to win. And they were coasting at 3-1 at half-time. And yeah, Blackburn, who hadn't won since March and had scored three in their previous five, ended up scoring four. Ben Britton Diaz scores two to win it in his last game for the club. Mm. He's off to maybe Villarreal, I think, this summer, but he's confirmed that he's leaving anyway after the match. But yeah, it was one of the most, honestly, one of the most remarkable first half, second half contrast I've ever seen. And not just in terms of the scoreline, because 3-1 to 4-3, you know, can happen. It's very rare. But in terms of the the atmosphere, it's one of the most intimidating... I mean, I've been to Millwall a couple of times, but this is one of the most intimidating atmospheres I've, I've ever been in. And you are in it in the press box because the, fan, the fans are right around you. And uh, I've written a piece that's coming out tomorrow that it felt like being sat in an empty wheelie bin while people smashed that wheelie bin with cricket bats and just scream Millwall at the top of their voices. Oh, right. it, it was a it was a din in the den. It was it was it was remarkable. Comparing and, the den to a dustbin. Good luck, Tim. That's, <laughs> that's all um, I'll say. The, the, it's 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 fine. The, the, it's, as long as I'm surrounded by as many police as we're at the game today, then I'll, I'll be well protected. And yeah, they were giddy at halftime. They were all talking about who they were playing in the playoffs and everything. And it was it was a remarkable atmosphere. And then an hour later, they're booing them off the pitch. And 200 fans stay for the end of season lap of honour. It was just an astonishing um, turnaround. And yeah, Millwall obviously yeah don't make the playoffs. After right, Blackburn sweep past them to also not make the playoffs. Yeah, so they needed Sunderland to uh, not get a result at Preston. Um, and for them to beat Millwall, which they did, but it wasn't enough. So Blackburn, uh, who yeah, have really dropped out in the last few weeks and went there with no expectations today. And to be fair, their, their fans had a fantastic day out. I hope they all got out okay. And yet yeah, Sunderland do sneak in on the final day, winning 3-0 at Preston. Playoff lineup is Sunderland taking on Luton and Coventry against Borough. Remarkable stories there. Coventry who had that incredible run of 47 years in which they never finished in the top six of any division. And now they've been in the top six of three different divisions in the last six seasons. That misses with my mind. Anyway, they're taking on Borough. And then, as I say, Sunderland up against Luton. Sunderland, who only came up from League One at the end of last season via the playoffs. And have had a pretty tormented time of it, what with one thing and another through this campaign. Hmm. All right, those playoffs will be starting on Saturday, the 13th of May. That's next Saturday. And the final is on the 27th of this month. Now, still to come, and similarly high scoring on this Bank Holiday Monday is today's edition of the Intertotally Cup. It's an absolute banger as Daniel Story takes on Julien Laurent. Oof, two What's big that going to do for coefficients? Two big hitters. Yeah, indeed. That's coming up at the end of... Of the show. Before that, there have been some other games played that we should touch upon. Not least because one of them saw Frank Lampard's Chelsea do a win. This happened at Bournemouth. Saturday, three o'clock. We thought, oh, that's going to be the big surprise of the round. How wrong we were. Any thoughts on that? The Blues scoring more goals in this match than they'd scored in their previous eight games combined. Yeah, and, and, and Chelsea's fans celebrating by singing We Are Staying Up, which... I think it was only today that they actually uh, secured their place in, in the division. And, and Frank Lampard will be very happy to have brought that long list of L's that he's been dragging around behind him for the last few weeks to an end. Absolutely. Will he start another one this coming weekend when they host Nottingham Forest? We shall see. Wolves 
1-0 winners over Aston Villa. This is very much your patch, Tim Spears. Where were they when Lopetegui took over? Bottom of the league. I Bottom believe. of the table. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't think I'd be saying last end of, end of last summer that Wolves and Chelsea would both secure their Premier League survival on the same weekend. But but there you go. Yeah, he's Lopetegui's done a uh, fantastic job. A, a very good job. Wolves' squad is far better than where they were. So it's not a miracle, but he's done, he's done very well. He's tightened up that defence. Craig Dawson, probably one of the signings of the season, gone under the radar, three million quid, really shored up that defence. They've got seven clean sheets in nine at home, which is remarkable, really. And uh, they don't have a goal scorer, so nobody scored goals for them all season. To do that with no scorers, it's, no goal scorers is an impressive job. And I must just say a quick word on Diego Costa, who mm. I utterly castigated on this podcast a few months ago I think I described him as the wish version of Diego Costa and he's he's not he's still not back to his old old self uh, he's not really scoring goals regularly but he's le- he's led the line really well he's sort of upgraded himself to like a Madden to Swords waxwork of Diego Costa which you know almost yeah almost like him but pretty good you want to have a, you want to have a little look at him so yeah nice um, well done but I definitely go out of my way to look at a bad Madame to Swords Diego Costa hmm there's a thought for you, Madame Tussauds. You're freshening up your lineup. Uh, Spurs won the winners against Crystal Palace. I wonder who scored the goal for Spurs. Uh, so, it, 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 remarkable, really, some of the some of the stats that are coming out of, of, of Kane this season. So he's now the second top uh, Premier League goal scorer of all time. Mm. He's overtaken uh, Wayne Rooney. Mm. I think he's broken Duncan Ferguson's famous headed goals in a season record, which we're all you know wondering if that was that was ever going to go. And now it's gone. Um, it's his 26th goal of the season, which would be enough to win the Golden Boot in 18 Premier League seasons. And his goals have earned Spurs 24 points in matches this season. He scored the highest percentage of any team's goals. So he scored 40% of Spurs' goals. That's just ahead of Haaland on 39%. But I think in, in an awful Spurs team, he's proved himself to be the most valuable single player for any team this season. Yeah, he's also... Uh, registered 15 more shot-creating actions, however you define those, than any other Spurs player. Yeah. So he's at both ends of that whole... Well, the, 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 the winning goal at the weekend is a perfect yeah. example because he, he set it up and then finished it you know, himself, as he, as he does so often, with, with a really clever sort of angle drive out to Poro, who puts the cross in, and then, and then who else but Kane finishes it off. Um, you know, we, 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 we talk almost every week on this podcast about the latest crisis at Spurs. And yet, just look, just look at him, surely having his, his best season ever. And, but because of Haaland, it just goes slightly under the radar. But I, th- I think it's worth pointing out just how, how good he's been. And he's clear of every other leading scorer in Europe's five major leagues, which I think helps to, to put it into context. Because obviously, Haaland is having the most ridiculous season that you can't really see beyond that. But you know, 26 seasons with three games still to go in what has been an absolutely wretched season for Tottenham is incredible. And you look across all the other major leagues in Europe, and I think I'm right in saying this, he's outscored Victor Osimhen, he's outscored Lewandowski and, and Benzema, he's outscored everybody in, in Liga again, despite the fact his club is has is, is just been the kind of, you know, footballing equivalent of the everything is fine gif with all the flames in the background. Um, so, yeah, pretty incredible. Harry Kane, we salute you. Well, there you go. What a, what a fantastic weekend it's been. Possibly definitive at the bottom three. Possibly reopening the whole top four and title race pictures. We don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that next up, we've got the always exciting Inter Totally Cup. 
It's time for the Intertotally Cup with proceeds going to Prostate Cancer UK. To find out more about Prostate Cancer UK's work in football, join Prostate FC, the biggest team in football taking on the most common cancer in men. Save lives from the pitch, the sofa and the stands. Visit prostatecancerukorg prostatefc. Intertotally Cup, story so far. Tom here, through to the quarterfinals for the first time ever. Yay! Where he'll be facing Matt Davis-Adams. Also through Michael Cox, who put out Charlie Ackleshare in brutal fashion. Five out of five for Coxie. He'll be taking on uh, the winner of Jack Lang and Jay Harris, who'll be doing their thing on Thursday. That's one side of the bracket. On the other side, you've got Rory Smith, who put out Tim Spears here, but only just him. Anyway, Rory will be up against Sasha Gurionov, who also needed a tiebreaker. Uh, While producer Charlie is chuckling to himself as he awaits the winner of today's bout, let's meet the contestants. Up first, he is the reigning intertotally champion, but the undisputed king of self-doubt. Expect sighs and moans aplenty because he is the one and only Daniel Story. Mm, magnificent theme music there for the reigning Intertotally Cup champion. The man who proved that sighs don't matter on, on his way to that cup win uh, last season. Daniel Story, Daniel. Hello, huh? lovely to be here, he lied. <laughs> All right. Well, it's delightful to have you involved again, and we're all looking forward to seeing uh, how you'll defend that title. Level of competition I'm feeling this year, it, it, it's maybe a little bit stiffer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, very tough first round game against a, a known wily opponent. Right. Okay. Uh, let's meet that known wily opponent. Oh, and his opponent, he's the Totally Verbal Show's favourite Frenchman, as well as our snappiest dresser and trashiest talker. Paris born and Paris bred. Ooh la la, ceci, Julien Laurent. There you go. Sweet sound of uh, ooh la la, sexy Julien Laurent. <laughs> Champs Elysees, very nice. Yeah. Of course, you can replace Champs Elysees by Angolo Conte as well, if you you want, obviously. Could do, yeah. That's that's his song. Champs is one thing that you haven't been, uh, Jules. You've reached the semi-finals in the last two seasons without ever making it to the the, the big game. No, that's right. And I I mean, I have to say, uh, I I, I feel a bit like a tennis player about to face Rafael Nadal in the first (laughs) round of Roland Garros, which is not nice. And also, who did the f***? draw because is that Michael right. Cox or Benji or Duncan who yeah. you know put two very strong contenders against each other no, uh, was... I mean there's only one favorite here and we you know we know who that is it's a huge failure if he doesn't beat me so interesting interesting the draw I have to say is completely above board it was done by producer Charlie who just so happens to be who you'll be facing if you get through this semi-final so hmm. so he writes the question he does the draw and then also plays no, no, that's, no, no. That's, he, that's... he doesn't write the question, but he okay. is our adjudicator if if we're if we're looking to okay. uh, settle any Italian kind of. To me. Just yeah. like to say, Rafa Nadal may miss the French Open through injury this year. So, 
yeah. pretty subtle stuff, Jules. I like it. Okay, yeah. uh, whoever does go through, apart from their semi, uh, sorry, quarterfinal berth against producer Charlie, will also be receiving a ten-pound custodial fee, uh, with which uh, they can try and make a bit of money for Prostate Cancer UK. Life Score Bet will put that ten pounds on the wager of their choice of the winnings going to that charity. Uh, Daniel and Julian, do you have a bet in mind? Yeah, I'm going for Romelu Lukaku to score the last goal in the Milan derby first leg semi-final. Ooh, the last goal. Right. And Jules? I've got Lautaro Martinez and Rafael Leao to both score in the same game. as Daniel. Good Lord. Well, it's certainly a fixture that's caught the imagination of football fans all over the continent. Much like this Game 7 of the Inter-Totally Cup. Let's get it underway then without any further ado. And find out who we're going to be saying adieu to as we ask, first of all, Daniel, five questions. Here they come. Question one, Daniel. Which of these Serie A clubs did Hernan Crespo not play for? Lazio, Parma, AC Milan or Sampdoria? Uh, well, it, it's Samp or Milan. Um, Samp? Is correct. Question two. Sam Allardyce managed one game as England manager, but who was it against? Oh, it's England won one nil, and it's either Slovakia or Slovenia, which is a mm. stitch up. I mm. think it was Slovakia. Is correct. Question three: Aaron Danks was temporarily in charge of which Premier League team this season? Villa. Correct. Question four. Here come a list of teams that a European Championship winning side faced on their way to the final, but not their opponents in that final. Can you name who the team was and what the year was? So their opponents were, on their way to the European Championship final, Portugal, Spain, Russia, France, the Czech Republic. Russia, Spain... France, those are Czechs. Who beat the Czechs in the court in the semis? Oh, it wasn't the Greece one, was it? Uh, France 2000. It can't be France 2000. is isn't Germany because they played them in the final. Denmark, I suppose. Going to have to hurry you, Daniel. Uh, European Greece, Championship. 2004? Is correct. Oh, is correct. Mm. We had to wait till question four to get your first sight of the tournament. But it was, it was a big <laughs> one in there. There'll be more. Big one. And question five for a perfect score and to really pile the pressure on Julien Laurence. Which men's Ballon d'Or winner played club football in Italy, Spain, Greece, Angola, and Uzbekistan? Uh, Rivaldo. <sighs> Five out of five for Daniel's story. How do you feel? Yeah, good. They were, they were, yeah, they were pleasant questions, and I knew the answers. Right, my favourite kind as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jules, are you ready to match that? Yeah, I had them all, so I hope. Oh yeah, the same questions. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, right. That would be a stitch up. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, your questions are similar. We, uh, Nick Miller, question master Nick Miller, likes to uh, uh, adopt a, a symmetrical approach to uh, okay. to these. So let's see. Question one, for example: Which of these Serie A clubs did Juan Sebastian Verón not play for? Lazio, Parma, 
AC Milan or Sampdoria? AC Milan? It's correct. Just need four more answers to force that tiebreaker, Jules. Yeah. Can't put a foot wrong. Question two. Which club is missing from this list of Premier League sides managed by Sam Allardyce? Okay, here comes the list of clubs he's managed. Give me the one that's missing. Bolton, Newcastle, Blackburn Rovers, West Ham United, Sunderland, Crystal Palace, West Bromwich Albion and Leeds United. Who's missing? I don't know. Fulham? I'm sorry? Fulham? Is incorrect, Jules. No, I don't know this answer. Really? I don't really care about Sam Allardyce, considering he's a bad manager. Sam Allardyce was a... Do you know, Daniel? Did you yeah. say Everton? No, I didn't. Everton no, was the missing name. Jules, I'm so sorry. Ah, it's okay. Hmm. Do you want the other three questions? Yeah, go on, go on. Okay. Question three. Steve Davis was temporarily in charge of which Premier League team this season? Um, Leicester? Wolves. Wolves. Question four. Here comes a list of teams that a World Cup winner has faced on their way to the final. Again, not including their opponents in that final. Can you name who the team was and the year that faced these opponents? Turkey, China, Costa Rica, Belgium, England, and then Turkey again. Who faced those matches on their way to a World Cup final, which they won? Brazil or two? It's exactly right. Question five, for a you know, score of three out of five, who was the last defender to win the men's Ballon d'Or? Canavaro is correct, Jules. Is correct. So a decent showing, but not enough to beat the champion, Daniel Story. There's a lot of English football there, isn't there, Jules? There was a lot of English football. No, I mean, you're playing away from home in a very real sense with this, Jules. So, you know, I respect for the very creditable three out of five. And many thanks for coming on. My pleasure. I'll try again next year, for sure. And good luck to. Danny, of course, he's my maybe. favorite to win. He's always <laughs> maybe maybe Jules will invent a uh, a European competition. Yeah, but this is great. It's just sometimes there's questions yeah, that you know a bit better. And you know, I mean, the Sam Allardyce question. Sam, I should yeah. have known maybe. Yeah, but I've forgotten mm. that he managed Everton. I don't know how well he did there. But well, I think you do. Your guess is about right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but no. But I, I'm 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 suddenly excited by the notion of. Uh, Filling a podcast with Ligue 1 questions, for example. Let, let's do it soon. <laughs> Nobody let's will listen to us. Uh, break no, I don't European think that's true. Well, I think so, it's a shame that I'm out because people won't listen to Champs-Élysées now, which is a, such a lovely song. So, Well, they can yeah. always go and listen to it themselves. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Daniel, you're through to a clash with producer Charlie. Ooh. Yeah, I remember producer Charlie's performance at an, op- an online COVID-affected Opta quiz, which has mm. very much got my knees a-trembly. His form was astonishing in that quiz. Oh, as I as I recall, Daniel, you um, missed a round because you were taking a uh, Amazon delivery, which affected your overall. Score. <laughs> Great memory. <laughs> Covid times, eh? Yes, yes, Mr. Story, you're through to the next round of the Inter Totally Cup. And if you concur with Dan's bet that Romelu Lukaku will score the last goal of the game in the Champions League Tastic Milan derby, you'll find the latest odds on LiveScoreBet.com or the LiveScoreBet app. 
It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Covid times, eh? And a, a lovely little cameo there at the end from producer Charlie. That'll be the first time a lot of people have heard producer Charlie's voice, I imagine. Some of us hear it all too often, of course, Tim. Anyway, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football show. There'll be more into Totally on Thursday with Jack Lang versus Jay Harris. And there'll also be our thoughts on Champions League semi-finals. Do hope you'll be joining us for that. And of course, previews of the weekend's action. For now, many, many thanks to everyone who joined us on the phone, Rob and Greg and Matt. And here in the studio, Tim and Tom and producer Charlie. And you there, listener. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll catch up with you again soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.